I had the opportunity to go to uh, Israel at the end of May, and uh, this series has really been birthed out of a lot of what the Lord really just impressed and uh, taught me while I was there. Again, not to try and sound like a know-it-all because I've been to Israel, that is not the intent, but I believe it, it shed some light on some things. You're gonna be seeing some pictures uh, scroll through here, and you're gonna be overlooking that we were on top of Mount Arbel, uh, and you could overlook into the Sea of Galilee and down into Capernaum and Magdala and different areas along that uh, body of water, the Sea of Galilee there. Uh, we actually ended up, we did go see Capernaum and they've got this nice big sign that says like the home of Jesus, the town of Jesus, because this is where he spent his time and we'll see that in the scripture in just a minute. Uh, there's a synagogue there that you can view and walk around. There's, there's uh, olive presses that you can see that were from that time. Uh, this next photo that you're gonna see, they, they believe was Peter's house. And it's a fascinating discovery just to kind of look at that and consider it. And the way the church has marked it is they built a church over it. So you can actually walk on a glass floor and look down into it. You can see it from outside and they give tours and they assume this is where um, Peter's mother and, and when you read stories about those things, uh, you're actually getting to lay eyes on it. And then the next photo is just from the shore. Uh, you can kind of just look out into the Sea of Galilee and you can imagine the different imagery that comes to mind from Sunday school times and the felt boards. Uh, but we also got to visit some different areas in Galilee and that was um, Nazareth and Sepphoris. And you can, the next picture, I just wanted to take a picture with my foot in between um, these, these divots, because these divots, these, these, these things that have been carved into these, uh, these streets that you're walking on in this city that was a very wealthy city at one time, those are chariot wheels having rubbed into the stones of the street. And so it's really fascinating to consider the history in that city. Um, and, and one of the things they do in, in, when they're taking you on these tours is they kind of give you a percentage based on historical data and gathering that they've able, been able to put together. And they'll give you a percentage chance of Jesus walking in certain places. And so the roads that we were walking on were original. These were unearthed and they were found and they let you walk on portions of these roads. And they say, there's a 100% chance Jesus played in this city. It's about three miles from Nazareth, which was a very poor town. Sepphoris, Sephora, whichever uh, pronunciation, was a place that was very wealthy and very affluent. And so Joseph and he and Jesus probably would have gone, hung out there, worked for business there, done all these different elements. Uh, as they work there. And one of the, uh, the last elements that we got to see while we were in Galilee was we went out on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, but before we did, we got to kind of view this 2,000-year-old boat. It's a fascinating story. You can Google it. You can look at the story. You can watch a video about it. Um, but just their discovery of this boat in, uh, in Galilee, in this area, just kind of, you're like, this is amazing. 2,000 years old. They've dated it. And it's, it's this you're looking at some nails from 2,000 years ago on display, and you're kind of going, this is, this is fascinating historical discoveries, just baffling, and you're just kind of going, man, the, the Jesus of history really matters. And so you go, what, well, what do I do with all of that? You know. Uh, and so the, the last picture I wanted to show you, when we were out on uh, the water, there was a guy who actually knew how to fish with a net, and so he was just actually just showing us how to do it and he would gather it and it's a fascinating process, but the nets are huge. They are gigantic. And it left, it left, a, it left an imprint on me as we sat 
on this boat on the Sea of Galilee, I was sitting with a group of pastors who know this story well. And as I'm listening to this group of pastors share their stories of the number of people who have hurt them, I was baffled that they still throw their nets. Like Jesus's call and Jesus's love for them was still enough to keep them wanting to do what Jesus asked. I was, I was shattered by it, going, I cannot believe the level of pain and hurt that these guys have walked through, and they still value Jesus's call to come and follow him and fish for people. Now this morning, I don't know that you, if you know much about Galilee, but it's a very interesting place for Jesus to declare who he is and what he's done. Just like a politician may be running on a education platform would announce their running at a university or just like a, uh, a candidate would run on, an, on, a, on a jobs creation platform might, it may, might declare their, their candidacy in a place where unemployment is high, Jesus takes a risk and a chance and he announces who he is in Galilee. And I don't believe any of Jesus' actions, words, or state, or, 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 or what he does at all is accidental. It's very intentional to who he is and who he's actually invited us to be. In Matthew chapter four, John the Baptist has already baptized him. They've had these moments. Last week, we talked about Jesus in the wilderness, and he returns to Galilee after hearing that um, John has been imprisoned. And then we see these words spoken. Matthew chapter four, starting in verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth and then left there and moved to Capernaum, beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus chooses to announce what's happening with a real purpose in mind that the good news is for all people, Jews, Gentiles alike. And if you're not Jewish, in the Jewish mind, you were Gentile. So there's two groups of people to them. And Jesus chose to come to a place that was known as Galilee of the nations or a district of the nations, meaning that there had been many foreign gods and many foreign idols worshiped there, meaning that there had been many foreign enemies that had made their way there, crushing different groups of people, and that there was this big mixed bag of human beings in this place. And it is here that Jesus chose to say, you know what, in darkness, light has come. It's a declaration of who the good news is for, and it is to go worldwide. The good news is not just reserved for one people group, one location, one time period, or one social status. And even where Jesus begins to speak this message declares that this kingdom is going all over the world. 
And we are about to see how Jesus would choose to make this kingdom announcement. So not only does he make this kingdom announcement in a very significant way, he actually shows us how this kingdom announcement is going to, hit, is going to continue to cover the planet. In Jesus's time, nothing is done randomly or wasted. Nothing Jesus does is wasted. In fact, one of, I, I, I don't, I've heard multiple theologians describe one of Jesus's most glorious works is going for a walk. Think of the stories that begin with Jesus walking. One of the most glorious things that Jesus does is goes on walks. And when Jesus does what he does and he meets people who are just doing what they do, everything changes. The significance of Jesus going on a walk is huge for you and me because we see what he does when he goes on a walk. Matthew 4:18 says, "One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, "Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people." And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two older two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. He called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. I mean, what a crazy picture, right? Like this is, for those of you who are ESPN ticker fans, this is an ESPN ticker moment. It's like a little line scrolls. Jesus picks up four more, four more players in his forming of his new team and you don't get any details. Like what, the what? Like, did they look at each other? Was there like a... What did he just say? Did he just say, Come, drop it. Like, follow him. Did, was there any conversation that went on? Was there any look of like, what's happening? Was, uh, was Zebedee looking around going, did you guys just hear what he just said? He told you to follow. What about me? Like, did, was there any arguing going on? Was, what was happening? Because I think in a Western culture, we're looking at that going, no. I mean, seriously, if you're sitting on a bench here in downtown Asheville and some dude comes walking by you, Come. Follow me. I mean, right? Like, I don't think we think about this all the time. I think we're just kind of like, yeah, they followed him. They did. They did. Oh, and I've heard this story a billion times. But the truth of in our, in our culture to look at that and go, that is the strangest thing. I would never do that. Well, the beautiful thing about scripture is that we have more details. Jesus wasn't just some mystical magical human being touching people and, and, and then them just kind of walking away. There was more to this story. He didn't just look at them and it wasn't just like tractor beams, like, oh, now I'm, I will follow you. No, it wasn't like that. There's more to the story. And that's why I love the four gospels. See, if you read in John's gospel, it describes a time earlier than Matthew's gospel. And you can just read what went on before this moment. John chapter one says this, the following day, John was, and this is before Matthew's day, the following day, John was standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and said, look, there's the lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following what do you want? He asked them. 
They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. Here we go. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So here you have a picture of Andrew before this boat encounter. Here you have a picture of Andrew following John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was the precursor, the one who was running before Jesus, and John had no problem telling people, I'm not the light, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the one, there's someone coming after me, look for him. And when John saw that person, he said, there he is, and two of his disciples were like, we're out, we're gonna follow him, which makes sense, right? Andrew is one of these people. So he had been discipled under John to know somebody's coming. Someone significant is on their way and I'm going to be on the lookout for this Messiah. Secondly, Simon, Peter, trusts Andrew and Andrew comes to him and says, dude, we found the dude. Like, it's not the dude before the dude, it's the dude. We found him, he's here, big deal, things are shaking up. Like, we need to be ready for this. This is gonna get crazy. And Simon trusts Andrew. Now, it's interesting because Jesus meets Simon, and you can just keep reading in John chapter one, you can see it. Jesus comes up to Simon and says, yeah, you go by this. You're gonna be Peter now. You're gonna be the rock. And Simon's like, okay, I will. You got it. Sounds good to me. It's interesting in that culture, when you would, when, when someone would pronounce a new name over you, it meant that they had some form of, of control in your life. Like when, um, God changed Abram's name to Abraham very significant moment, when Nebuchadnezzar changed Daniel's name to match the people of his, uh, of Babylon and, and their, their culture, there was this control and this authority over a person. And so when Peter, when Simon hears, you're now going to be the rock, you're now going to be Peter, he's like, you got it. You're in charge, man. You get things. I'm with you on this. And you can read more right after this where he calls Philip and Nathaniel to know him. And it's a pretty crazy encounter that they have. But Simon and Andrew had already accepted the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. Like they had already had an understanding that Jesus was more than John the Baptist. Jesus was more than the precursor. He is the light that has come into the world. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So there was already something happening in their heads and hearts. But you can still see that they were living as fishermen. And in that day, it was possible to be someone's disciple and still live and work. But that person that was teaching them, that rabbi's influence, would influence both their life and the way they worked and who they talked to and what they talked about. Matthew's description was not mystical, but it was Jesus inviting these men to a deeper level of discipleship. Luke chapter five 
captures another call of these men. Luke chapter five, verse one says, one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he, had fished, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, like I know who you are, I'll let them down. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. Now you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. So this is a different description, another description of another call that was taking them into a deeper place. There is still another level of discipleship that we go to, especially when it comes to Simon Peter. There's good reason to believe that these men, even as they follow Jesus, stay connected to their businesses and to their families. I know we like to think that they, as everything's done, but there was still a connection. There was still remaining. And, and, and honestly, uh, when we were in Galilee, you look around and you notice there's not a lot of trees. And that's historically how it was always. So for there to be boats on the water, it was not like there were tons of boats. In fact, it was, in, it was expensive to import wood. So for Peter to have multiple boats only suggests that this dude was a smart businessman. He was savvy, he was intelligent, he knew how to make a dollar. And so for him to walk away from all of that, to walk away from things, we, we think he was still connected even to, this, to his businesses as he followed Jesus. And one of the reasons we think that is because after Jesus' death, what, is, what does Peter say? I'm going back to fishing. Like he'd always had it in his back pocket. Like it was always there. Like how does he go fishing so quick? Well, he's probably still connected to his family business. He goes, he fishes, Jesus raises from the dead. They have this encounter on the shore. And what does Jesus ask Peter? He says, do you love me more than these? Do you know what these are? Fish. Peter says, Lord, you know I love you more than these. And what does Jesus say? You follow me, feed my sheep. And from that moment on, Peter never lives his life for fish again, but he lives for people in the way Jesus invited him to live. Now, why would it matter to us? Why would Jesus going on a walk and fishing nets and fishing for people have anything to do with us? Friends, simply because the call still exists today. It is the very same call it is the very same invitation that he gave to those men who had learned of Jesus, heard Jesus' call, and followed him 
to be fishers of people. It is the exact same call for you and for me today. The early disciples would no longer be fishing for for fish out of a lake, but they would be attempting to draw people up out of the depths of sin and despair, caught in the wild, wildly huge net of God's grace. Same invitation. But somehow in America, we've changed who we're inviting to do what in our story. Things could have gone very differently if Peter was like, hey, no thanks, Jesus. I hear your call, but here's what I actually need. I need you to bless my business. Would you come and bless my business? Actually, I have this great idea being a fisherman. What if I put a a fish on the back of my boat, like a sticker that symbolizes that I'm a Christian and I will get Christian business. Ooh, I've got a great business plan, Jesus. Bless my business, because I gotta make that dollar, because if I'm a Christian, Christians need to support Christians so that we can be a blessing to each other, and my business and my pockets, they need to get bigger. Like, that's what I want, Jesus. I just wish you would come and bless my business. And we miss being about Jesus's. We've turned the invitation around. We've flipped it. We've said we would rather have Jesus handle our business, provide for our business, take care of our business, rather than being about his business. I can tell you why we're so miserable as a country and as a church. It's because we've ignored Jesus's invitation to real life. We're so consumed with making a living that we've missed real life. Jesus has invited human beings to know that they were made, not just for the bottom line dollar, to have the job, get it done, kick people out so that I can get bigger, bigger barns and bigger houses and bigger things and more stuff and make the money and be good at business. No, he's actually changed it and made it about people. He's made it about people. A people who still find their identity in their work, in their performance, We gotta have that full net, so we'll do whatever it takes to have that full net. As long as I can have my nets full because my identity is wrapped around it, my performance is wrapped around it, I'll use whatever means to get that full net. And if that means going to church once a week, if that means giving money once a week, if that means behaving one day a week, then I'll do whatever it takes to fill my nets. But when Jesus walked, he called us to follow him, not for him to follow us into our business. He changed it totally. People matter more. While we want Jesus to come handle our business, the glorious exchange, the glorious invitation is that Jesus has invited us into his business, and his business is people. That's never going to change. There are very few things more clear to the early church than the idea of continuing on in the work of Jesus. Not just that we were sharing what we had with the poor, not just caring for the sick, sheltering the, refuge, uh, the refugees, tearing down social barriers, 
giving worth to every human being. There's so much the church has been called to reflect and in, introduce kingdom ways to a world that doesn't get it. The church understood from very early on that it was their task to see Jesus, the light in the darkness, come to the light in the, to the darkness in our town, in our places, in our lives. Why? Because he came to the darkness in our lives. That's why the message of the good news and the gospel and the kingdom that Jesus came to declare, we are not plan B. <laughs> There's no other plan. There's no other plan for getting this message of hope to the world. And that starts sometimes in our own neighborhood. And I know that scares us to death. We would rather raise $5,000 to go fly to somewhere where no one knows us and share the message of Jesus. But we are scared to death to even begin to pray that God would use us where we work, live, and play on the regular. We cannot be the church that says, I will not fish for people. Because then we are not obeying our Savior's invitation. We would be a people rejecting what we were made for. The lives of these people, the lives of the church, our words and our interactions would become the very nets in which God would invite people to know his kingdom, to know his grace. Today, there is no plan B. The church is it. And you may look at yourself and go, you know what? But I don't love the person I work with. I just need you to know that your lack of love for that person is not gonna influence God's love for them. In fact, here's the deal. God's great love for you and for that person should actually influence your lack of love for that person. That's the power of walking in relationship with God. It's like, I know that he loves me. Oh, and I know what I'm capable of. <laughs> so that's gonna inform how I love the difficult people that I work with. You better believe it. I know that that's tough. But here's the beautiful adventure we're called to. It is to trust God in all of our moments, not just on Sunday morning, but that he would use us to see those nets go wide. Now, I know that fishing might not be your thing. In fact, it's not mine. Like, I had no real care to throw a net off of that boat because I would have looked like a, a dummy. Like, I'm not a fisherman. I'm just not. I'm, it doesn't speak to me, but it would have been just the same in a very easy way. Jesus could have just as easily seen me as a junior, about to be junior in high school, sitting down, lacing up my basketball shoes, pumping up the basketball. Jesus walks by and says, you know what, Jason? You're going to be a basketballer for people now. I guess you're right. <laughs> he just as easily could have been like, Gigi, you're gonna be an antiquer for people now, yeah. right? I mean, like, like he could have just as easily done that. He could have just as easily gone by the mom who's sitting there nursing her child. You will be a mother for people now. I mean, it's a little easier to make that connection there, but the truth is, 
Moms and dads, don't miss the opportunity to raise someone that you are not just kicking out so you can be an empty nester, but so that you can prepare them to do whatever they're going to do for people now. Like if we show them that it's about the bottom dollar, the dollar, the dollar line, the dollar line, the dollar line, what do you think they're gonna do when they walk out? The dollar, the dollar, the dollar, the fish, the fish, the fish. No, what about the people? The beautiful invitation is that God takes what we normally do and through Jesus' supernatural walking with us, he makes it about his net and the grace of God that people need to see. All of this starts with understanding that Jesus came. Matthew 4, 16 says, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. As the disciples followed Jesus, they learned Jesus. They learned of Jesus. They became more like Jesus. And Jesus takes our normal interactions and transforms them into kingdom moments. And will our lives be those nets that are cast super wide, knowing that God could use us in any way possible to see people come to know him? You can leave here today afraid of Jesus's call to follow him. You can return to begging for God to help you make a living, but I promise you Jesus didn't come to show us how to make a living. He came to give us life. And that life is found in answering Jesus's call to come after him. farthest away from home I've ever been. Come on, Sam. Remember what Bilbo used to say? It's a dangerous business, Frodo. Going out your door, you step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. I know some of you might hear, well, if I take a step out of my door, there's people there. There's people outside my door. There's people that I might have to like, share my life with and share my story with. And, and you know what? You're probably right. But the power of the gospel is that he takes people who are cowards, he takes people who are fearful, he takes people who like to label everything about their introvertedness, he takes people who on your Enneagram you just hate people and you don't even deal with them. The Holy Spirit wraps you up and says go. 
You're not here just to make a dollar. You're not here just to make a living. You are here to live a new life. And the way that's possible is through Jesus. So this morning, my question to you is, have you heard his call? Will you answer? And will you be a fisher for people wherever you are? Because a fisher for people is someone who says, my life, my words, my every day, my daily, Lord, it's yours. That's it. Use it how you will. I want your net to go as wide as possible and I want my life to count for that. This morning as we close our time and we go to the corners of the room, take communion together as we do every week, we are hearing our master and our savior and our Lord's invitation to drop what we know is safe, to drop the bottom line dollar made at the end of the day, to drop safety and security and comfort and happiness and say, those cannot be my God because they do not satisfy. But this meal, this bread, this juice, this satisfies. And we want to be a part of the world knowing that we were made for him and our hearts will remain at unrest until they rest with him. Lord, we love you. And I ask that in these moments, we would not forget the glorious work of Jesus walking and calling, that we would be a people who would hear his call, drop our excuses, drop our nets, and follow you. Because the message is too good. The person of Jesus is too good for the world not to know him. It's in your name we pray.